Our Old Testament reading this morning is from 1 Kings. In the 17th chapter, we'll hear the opening seven verses this morning. Uh, This is a story of Elijah in the wilderness. Now, Elijah the prophet, he often found himself in hot water because he was not above uh, speaking frankly the word of the Lord that was given to him under some adverse conditions. In fact, this morning, providentially, our adult Sunday school lesson dealt with, uh, with the story from Daniel uh, of the fiery furnace and how servants of God in Babylon were not above getting themselves into trouble because of their prophetic witness on behalf of the Most High God. So I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, who was king over the land, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Flee, get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been... No rain in the land. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the gospel according to Mark. In the very first chapter we'll hear this morning, verses 9 through 15. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and He was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited upon him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Here in the gospel, according to Mark, we read the most direct, no frills edition of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. His account of both Jesus' baptism and his subsequent time of trial in the desert, they are told with an economy of words. And before I get too much further down the road in considering these words, allow me to clarify something I may have muddled in this week's email I sent y'all as I wrote there of a journey from mountaintop to wilderness. I noted that last Sunday... We observed 
the transfiguration of Jesus, and this week we find ourselves reading about the 40-day ordeal of his that included visitations by both good and not-so-good angels. And uh, so, to clarify, the lectionary readings are not necessarily chronologically in order. So, Jesus' transfiguration, which we read about last week, and I preached about too, that took place long after the reading for today, his baptism by John in the Jordan and his subsequent temptations in the wilderness. So I, I hope that I didn't confuse any of you in that email. Okay, so now we are this morning with Jesus there in the desert where he has been driven, the text tells us, by the Holy Spirit. It's very early on in his earthly ministry, publicly at least. He's just been baptized by John in the Jordan. That kicks the whole thing off with the Spirit descending in a voice from above. And we are also this day in this season of Lent, this 40 days that excludes Sundays and takes us up to the cross of Good Friday and the empty tomb of Easter. But those events, too, come years after Jesus is baptized and confronted by Satan. They are at the end of his earthly ministry, so we're, we're compressing uh, three plus years into 40 days of Lent. So the sequence of our readings throughout this season, then, are not going to take us in a straight line from the start of his public presence to the end. The church's season of Lent offers believers a few weeks to prepare for the coming of the highest of holy days in our Christian tradition. Uh, this past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, some churches kicked off their observance of the season with services that included the imposition of ashes on the forehead of the congregants as stark reminders of both our call to repentance and the holy sacrifice, the burnt offering that has been made on our behalf. We read this morning then of Jesus there in the desert, and it serves as a reminder of the very real presence of the temptation to sin and the author and benefactor of sin. Not even the Son of God himself was immune to the solicitations of the devil. But thankfully for all of us, Jesus remained faithful and true to his Father's will and not to that of the tempter, nor even his own. I think that's one of the greatest gifts of this season and of this annual reading that begins our joint journey into the season, the reminder of the preeminence of the Father's will. How badly it would have gone for us 
for Jesus too, but especially for us, had he, as the tempter himself had, rebelled against God by satisfying his own wants and desires. I recently saw uh, an interview that was done with the actor who plays the role of Gaius, the, the Roman preemie of Capernaum, in the chosen video series that we've been watching in our adult Sunday school class. In that interview, he spoke of how his character had been deeply affected by the preaching of Jesus as he delivered that Sermon on the Mount. After listening to a call that was surprisingly and markedly different than that he had received as a call to serve Rome, Gaius had been mulling over the merits of what he had heard, comparing and contrasting them to his own life, to his identity as a citizen and a soldier of the empire. Lent is a time for the church, individually and collectively, to mull over the merits of the gospel message and weigh our responses relative to our own identities and to the corresponding beliefs that they foster. If we believe in the words of Scripture concerning the identity of Jesus, then we have an obligation to believe His words about new life. Yes, the gift that comes to His followers is for eternity. And thanks be to God. But it also includes with it a responsibility to live here and now in new ways. Ways which are in accord with the words and deeds of the one who has given us this new life. Jesus was often in opposition to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, over just this critical shortcoming in their own lives. They were happy, it seemed, to tell others about God and how they should live in covenant relation with him. But they themselves could not always be bothered to act in accord with this very same God's desire for his people. They were too invested in themselves to be invested in the people that God had called them to be invested in. It's helpful for us to recall the errors of other people in other places and times as described in Scripture. And Lent is a wonderful opportunity to learn from the mistakes made in the past, those of others, but also or perhaps especially mistakes of our own as well. I was reading an article recently written by a theologian, author, and professor of church history from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He was writing about, of all things, the syphilis epidemic in this country. The health care providers have begun raising the alarm about. And it's no secret. For generations, we've known what causes this disease. We know how to prevent the spread of this disease. Yet, we are not preventing 
the spread of this disease. We place our faith in science to produce agents to treat the symptoms of the disease. And as the treatments get less effective over time, we simply trust that new ones will be developed to take the place of the old, rather than changing our behaviors to stop the spread of the disease. Because it seems we are determined to fulfill our own desires, even if they lead to our destruction. The same can be said for many different addictions, from kleptomania to pyromania. Yes, some people are more chemically, hereditarily, sociologically predisposed to them, but as Al-Anon and Narcotics Anonymous and similar recovery programs teach, a person must first have a desire to take control of their desire. Since the very early church, this has been a topic of debate. Why do Christians need any such desire, any motivation to act any differently than the world? If, after all, we have the grace of God through the blood of Jesus to cover all our sins and erase our transgressions. In fact, some have thought it might even stand to reason that the more we act out, well, the more we sin, then the more His mercy and grace will be poured out upon us in abundance and it would tip the scales in our favor. The Apostle Paul convincingly counters that argument writing to the church in Rome, what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we, who died to sin, go on living in it? It is quite true that changing our ways and living in a different manner could never earn us a spot in the kingdom. It should be, however, a mark of the grateful, redeemed Christian whose life is lived as a thank offering for having been made anew, free from the wages of sin. Finally, this morning, I'd like to lift up for you out of this morning's briefed gospel account of Jesus' ordeal in the wilderness what I believe to be a very important detail that we are not to overlook, and that is the author takes pains to tell us in that economy of words that Jesus was cared for in his time of need. In our Old Testament reading about one of the prophet Elijah's times of trouble includes a similar response by God to the need of his servant, the ravens providing him bread and meat every morning and every evening as he was in need of sustenance while in hiding from the wrath of Ahab having delivered the word of God to the king. If we recall the story of Exodus from Egypt, the whole company of Israel back then had need for sustenance in the wilderness. 
And they were sent manna, bread from heaven, and meat, quails from on high, God's special recipe to sustain them. A pattern then seems evident here. Our Father is near to His Son, to His prophets, to His people. Again, reinforced by that story we read this morning in the book of Daniel. God sees His people. He sees us in our times of triumph and in our times of trial. And I know for a fact that some of you this very day are up against it. Having been here for now 11 and a half years, some of you are opening up a bit more about your struggles and trials when I ask. Last week, three folks even came to me unprompted and asked me to keep them in prayer for various circumstances. I spent some time this past week with a a widower and with a couple who are mostly homebound on account of health or other reasons, and I saw the sorts of trials that they are daily facing. I, I hope that this morning's passage from his word will serve as reminders that even in our own wilderness places, we are never on our own. We are strengthened in our time of trial, like that fourth presence in the furnace. We are strengthened in our moments of temptation. We are called to live differently, living our joy and our thankfulness for what Jesus has done, and we are equipped to do so. We are invited to imitate Jesus, to honor Him for who He is as Lord of all, and we are enabled to do so through His holy power. Any resistance to the whispers of the tempter, any ability to deny self, any refusal to act on a sinful impulse, any holding on to hope in a desperate situation, Such victories are only won through and with God's grace. Yes, we must have the desire, but it is God who supplies us the strength, refreshing us just when, where, and how we need it for the living of these days in accord with His revealed will. So as we continue our journey through this holy season of Lent, may we do so reassured once again that God himself is walking with us. The good shepherd leads us onward. He knows the way. It is the way to the cross, but it is also the way to the empty tomb. He is the one who has been in the wilderness. He is the one who has been with Moses, with Elijah, with the angels and the beasts. As we in this world, 
hear the voice of the tempter coming to us in many forms and many guises. For those with ears and a genuine desire to hear, the voice of God speaks the more louder, full of grace and truth, reminding each of us in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, we are no longer living in the world. We are not to be of the world, though we are citizens therein. We are no longer to live as old creations, for we are made again anew as new creations through and in Christ. We are no longer bound by oaths of allegiance to this world, nor its princes, nor its fears, nor even to ourselves. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.